Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 107 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I am doing pretty well. Yeah. I'm doing pretty well. It's been a decent week. Uh, we had some fun things that came out of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm kind of excited about today's show. Yeah, yeah. I'm fe- feeling, feeling good for the... Uh, for for basically the first time in a in a week or so, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, between health problems and uh, and 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 uh, little little bouts of depression and such like that, I'm actually feeling really good this week. And good, it's, good. It's it's good uh, good to be back here in our weekly therapy re- uh, uh, thing and. Uh, and we are not alone. And we are not alone. We have a if, very special guest today. If all the technology works, there's somebody else lurking here in the digital background. Seth, are you with us? I, I am here. Oh, Lord, Seth. It is good to hear your voice. I, I know it's only been a couple of days, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad the technology did not fail us completely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised. It's now two meetings in a row without uh, without it burning on me. So I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, well, thir- thir- third time's a charm. So uh, it's a good thing we're done after this one because uh, <laughs> hey, I, hey. I think next, well, no, I'm just saying is next time we have you, we, we, we want to have you on the show, then it's uh, uh, we're, we're bound to have some disasters. Exactly, all. exactly. Oh, I was just thinking the night is still young. <laughs> Uh, that is that is true. At any point in time, we could completely lose you. I so. was just trying to make this a problem for future Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Seth actually came to us uh, uh, out of our last uh, uh, cast, I should say, our last episode. Uh, we were doing research on Traveler, and in doing so, we ran across this mythic collection of research done by Seth uh, for Traveler itself on YouTube, which I highly recommend you go and watch if you are interested at all because um, of his deep dive, but he actually comes from us as a uh, fantasy horror novelist. He's award-winning. Uh, he's got his YouTube channel, uh, been to multiple cons and a ridiculous amount of time behind the game mastering screen. We we went through history. It was yeah. interesting. Actually, uh, uh, Seth Skorkowski, we haven't said his full name, yet. I, Seth Skorkowski has, yes. uh, has uh, also written um, scenarios for Call of Cthulhu and Traveler. Yes. Uh, published author himself, um, and it says here in his bio too, he's bad at pronouncing the names of mythos creatures. So I suppose it's a bad time to ask you: Is it pronounced Haster, 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 or Huster, Huster, Huster? <laughs> True. I, I always pronounce it ha- um, Haster. Okay. 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 L- little blend, a little blend. I like <laughs> that. I like that. Gives it a little flavor. Um, but if you if you if you if anything like that you pronounce in front of any of the fans, someone. We'll get knifey mad, no matter how you pronounce it. Um, actually, it's pronounced Shub Nagaruth. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, today's topic kind of came out of that in the idea that we were going to continue our conversation uh, about uh, c- kind of Traveler and the universe that it's in, since we don't really step away from fantasy very often. Yeah, most of our most of our show is pretty pretty fantasy centric. Uh, we we delve every so and then into modern topics or or, or uh, uh, near modern topics like Shadowrun or something mm-hmm. like that into the cyberpunk genre. Yeah. But um, you know, typically a lot of our a lot of our examples and discussions and whatnot kind of surround D anD D. And you know, I mean, understandably so. I guess it's a it's a pretty big demographic in the gaming community. But yeah, but we really don't pay a lot of a lot of mind to the space opera sort of category of things. Well, not only that, but like both of us really don't play. We haven't run those types of games. I mean, I ran Palladium, uh, you know, uh, Robotech, Robotech, which right. 
without a doubt, is space opera. There's literally singing in it. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, I, I ran Battletech. <laughs> I mean, I say singing, but realistically, let's not go far into that. Um, <laughs> we we already we already cursed Seth last time with the uh, with the, with, the, with the song stuck in his it, head. Agreed, so. agreed. So uh, which I've just done again because it always happens. Um, yeah, but realistically, uh, Seth has more experience in it for us as a, well. A lot, a lot. I, I ran like three games of Aeon Trinity. Uh, yeah, and that, and is that true. was that. Other than BattleTech, that was my experience. So it's really great to have Seth on the show with us to kind of share his expertise. Uh, Seth, uh, what would you say your your portfolio is uh, with uh, space opera games? Not, not not even just Traveler, but like you know the entire genre. Well, you know, I don't. You know, I, I still see it as all just sci-fi games because uh, stuff like the the subgenre of, of space opera to me is mostly going to be defined by the group. Um, I, I think. You know, unless you've got a group that's dead set on being like super hard serious, it's it's eventually going to devolve into Buck Rogers. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, see, I started, uh, I guess my first sci-fi game I played was the old Star Frontiers, which is an old mm-hmm. uh, 1980s TSR game. It's essentially D&D in space. Uh, they did have a really cool space combat uh, game called Nighthawks. That was a that was a ton of fun. Oh, well, I've heard of that one. I, I've heard of it, but I, I, I've never heard anyone discuss it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was it was cool, and uh, so like that, that uh, Nighthawk skilled like many a rainy Sunday, mm-hmm. and then uh, I got into by well, getting a Mech Warrior through BattleTech. You know, and mm-hmm. I really liked the idea of of role playing in that universe, but not necessarily uh, Mech pilots, uh, but getting into like a, a, a space crew aboard a drop ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried so many times to get a campaign started on that as like a side game, and it just never ever worked out except for like a session and then like nothing and then a few years later i do a session and then nothing so yeah it, it never it never got past like yeah like a, like a single game every couple of years um and then you know i went to cyberpunk and uh, stuff that was a lot closer to our time and then uh then i finally dove into traveler i guess uh i guess i'm at two years now okay so mm-hmm. it's I, I I haven't. It's not. I'm not one of the uh, the the veterans that's been playing it since 1977 when it originally released. But um, you know, I I know a good deal, but I don't know anything compared to uh, a, a lot of the, the the super fans. Well, well I mean, two two years solid of running the game is is is, is pretty pretty good. I well, mean, not only that, but spending a year literally creating YouTube's and research, I think, gives you a little more qualification. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I I have known D and D for many a year, and I can tell you, I've not taken the deep dive that you've taken into it until we started doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I I feel that and and have respect for that. Um, but also that you come from a story, you come from a more traditional novelistic storytelling background, and you mix in more of a pulp edge to it from uh your your Call of Cthulhu and uh your your cyberpunk uh more historic sense and and i'm saying cyberpunk as in the role-playing game not as in the genre um and it was interesting just chatting with you about that and and your feelings about this the concept now when sarah and i first started this conversation we kind of got a little bit into i wouldn't say loggerheads but into the discussion of like what are we talking about when we talk about space opera versus you know uh you know science fiction fantasy and i liked the way you described uh, the mountain peaks of, of what the genre kind of is, and that all of them are, are 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 is more of a circle than anything else, and you're never really reaching either of those true peaks. 
Yeah, it's 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 more about how close you are. Whichever one you're closest to is usually where you get uh, labeled. Uh, when it comes to genres, uh, yeah, one of those things that yeah you have to you have to hate them and you have to love them at the same time is is genre labels uh, because there are so damned many mm-hmm. and the the definitions of them are are actually very wibbledy wobbledy and they evolve and change with time yeah and so if you go to any of the big uh literary conventions like a few years ago to uh, to a world con and you're you're sitting there with some massive industry leaders and they could all agree that none of them can actually really define uh, a lot of the subgenres, they can say it's like, well, this book falls into it, but it also falls into this and this. Right. Uh, so it's it's real hard to define uh, a, a lot of them because it's mostly a marketing term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just to, to to kind of give you just a quick a quick bite so you kind of know at a glance what you're dealing with. Right. right. But really, every every single story is not as much you know fits in one hole or the other, but like is a a la carte choice of different, you know, different genres in, in different ways Mm -hmm. to make up its own unique thing. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, a lot of stuff you could call uh, military sci-fi that also falls into space opera, but then you could also have a hard military sci-fi, but you know, it's, but there, so these genres do overlap. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of just whatever, you know, different flavors uh, it might touch. And you're basically trying to market it to to an audience that says, oh, it's something It's like this. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, when we were talking about some of the, um, you know, uh, pop culture references of, you know, Star Wars versus Star Trek versus Battlestar Galactica versus Firefly and where they fit in between space opera and hard fantasy, you know, or, or sci-fi fantasy, you know, you look at something like The Expanse, which is kind of hard science. It There's... There's very little, op, you know, fantasy elements to it mm-hmm. because it kind of ex- needs to explain everything and feels that that is a major important part of the story. But at the same time, you've got the space opera elements of the heavy focus on the characters mm-hmm. and and the drama between them and such like that, where it's not it's not really the the, the science isn't the focus, mm-hmm. which is kind of the defining term of a hard sci-fi. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got hard sci-fi elements in that they they pay attention to how ships have to accelerate and decelerate and the right. effects of, you know, high gravity burns and stuff like that. But, you know, so it, very much like Seth is saying, you, you can't fit it into any one, right. any one well, bucket, you know. You see, I don't see either of them as being more focused on characters than the other. Um, uh, how I see it is, is, is hard sci-fi. Uh, is is using science and, and facts and everything to enhance the story. So when you're, when you're going through the expanse, these are all things that kind of enhance the story. When it talks about the risks of zero gravity, uh, if you're if you're injured, or uh, just what vacuum does to you, and acceleration, deceleration, mm-hmm. all of these these things. Well, space opera doesn't want to let facts and science get in the way of a good yarn. <laughs> it it yeah. hand waves it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, uh, more power to the deflector shit. De- deflector dish. What does the deflector dish do? I don't know. What deflects. do we What do we need it to today? Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so both of them. The the story is still the the number one. It's mm-hmm. just really kind of depending on what path they go through to tell it. Um, so. 
it, 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 that's that's really just the big difference between them is their approach. But they're always going to have a story and drama and uh, characters and 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 all of the the normal things that you would have in any sort of storytelling. Right, right on, right on. Yeah, I I, I always liked when I looked at uh, things and I was I was trying to kind of figure out like what some important elements of of telling a story within sci-fi or you know whether you want to go sci-fi fantasy or hard sci-fi um it has like you said it has less to do with uh being able to explain things away i mean D D in an essence doesn't go hard it just it, it explains things in a, a general way but never gives you full mechanics although it's more mechanical than some of the others mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that just kind of let things slide i mean trinity tends to let a lot slide uh, yeah, ish. I, I would say more, probably more, if you want to talk about sl- a lot of things sliding, it's powered by the apocalypse right there. I agree. 100% yeah. agree. Well, so D&D, uh, which D&D is so sometimes weird to, to, to discuss because over the, the past 40 something years, it has is, it is evolved in so many different directions. You got to ask which, which D&D uh, are you talking uh, about? Agreed, agreed. <laughs> Um, I think I think I actually saw a thing today or yesterday that this month is the 50th anniversary of when uh, Dave Arneson and Blackmore mm-hmm. uh, started, which, uh, you know, kind of ended up spurring into Gygax's Greyhawk and then Dungeons and Dragons, you know, early, early days, oh. uh, which, you know, that all came from chainmail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they were all massive war gamers. I mean, war gaming was yeah. their thing. And then oh, finally yeah. they're like, I want to play one of these people. And, and that's how it originated, but it was always very war gaming at mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. And when, when, when they released D and D, sorry, I've actually been reading a lot of history on the industry. No, by all means. Is, uh, so, so, so Gygax was actually more into Conan and Moorcock Mm-hmm. And a lot of the the pulps, the sword and sorcery stuff, but that was also during like the peak of you know this Lord of the Rings thing. It came mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. and you know, the, so people wanted Lord of the Rings. And they'd be all like, is, "Is it like Lord of the Rings?" And be like, uh, "Yeah, sure," and, <laughs> which is which is high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also was like very wargaming. Tons of charts. Oh my god, uh, there yeah. were so many charts and tables and and all of that because we wanted to make sure that all of our pole arms were were correct and but ultimately we play it like sword and sorcery which is very pulpy Mm -hmm. Uh, but some groups they can really go high fantasy and they can get really into uh game of thrones level stuff if that's how that group wants to interpret it and they can use the exact same rules or uh choose to ignore certain rules which the more pulpy you get the more you start kind of ignoring uh the rules because you don't want to let it get in the way of a good yarn yeah Mm -hmm. i mean just the whole concept of like we over the years like encumbrance has kind of been dropped off the wayside and and the the base rules for even uh you know uh spell components most gms kind of yeah okay you you have to have a components bag but i'm not going to make you go through each component unless it's part of the story unless there's a specific thing like you need to resurrect this person that is a ritual and is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's make that something serious and and part of the uh, of the story. But beyond that, there's a lot of hand waving that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and really, that's how it always was. I started with first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and there were huge portions we just straight up ignored. And yeah. everybody else that I met that played it. Uh, they had a separate list of stuff they ignored, but there was a lot of overlap, like weapon speeds and uh, oh yeah, 
Oh my God. I forgot all about those. (laughs) The the general bag of, of components uh, that, that a spellcaster would have. It's like, okay, look, you, if it says you have to have a hundred gold piece pearls. So you do have to note that, but like a little bit of Fox hair, whatever, it's all in this bag, this general bag of junk. Yeah. You've studied long enough to know that you had to have these things, so you're going to make sure you take care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you've got a you've got a bale of fox hair somewhere, and you just keep reloading it in your bag. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, Don't worry about foxes. that. Yeah. Oh, jeez, <laughs> all the foxes. Um. So I guess when one of the things that I I wanted to step into about this into the discussion a little bit that I was thinking more about uh, as we were going through this is that one of the things that Trinity does. Uh, that I find that is a is weighted differently than any other system, um, and because it's space, is that almost the ship becomes a living part of the story. You're talking Trinity or Traveler? Or, sorry, Trinity Traveler. Yeah, right, right. There yeah. goes my brain. Um, <laughs> and that and that it adds that element, and that's not necessarily something that a lot of systems do. I mean, for instance, Seven C has a thing for ships, but it's and it's it can be part of the system, but it's not weighted in that direction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that just kind of is glossed over in regards to that. A few other systems can lean into that if they're more tactical, but it almost feels like it is a, it is a story generator on its own. Um, and that always brought me back to more of, of it is the platform that is the plot that the yeah. plot rides on. It's the plate of the plot. If you will, the, the, the ship itself almost ends up being like the unspoken party member. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like the, the, the serenity in firefly exactly. it, it has its own personality essentially, you know? Yeah. And then the shit the, the show would not be the same without it. Um, I mean, how, how do you do, with your experience with, uh, not only star frontiers and traveler and such like that, how do you find that that plays out? Um, you know, from a storytelling perspective, how do you how do you draw that out and and give life to something like the ship? Well, personally, I think once again, I think a lot of this just comes down to your group. I, I think if you if you uh, if you're playing Seventh Sea and they've got their ship and you're like, okay, what's the name of your ship? And they name their ship and they got a little map of their ship. They're gonna fall in love with that damn thing. And, and they do. They, <laughs> well, they, do. they will. They will go through hell itself to get their ship back. Not, not, no other ship could replace it unless there's something truly better. So I, I think that's more of a, of, a, of a character thing. But with Traveler, because it's named after, you know, space travelers, mm-hmm. you know, your ship is is your big constant. You know, it's it's your home. It, 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 it's where you live. And then periodically you open up the door and there is like another world that you get to explore that's completely alien. And the one constant, no matter where you go and all these strange and amazing things, is this ship. And very often uh, they are very much like the Millennium Falcon or Serenity mm-hmm. or um, uh, Battlestar Galactica off the the, the, the remake. The Rosinante. It's, it's a bit janky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Rosinante, well, you know, that was that was also based off of a role playing game. That entire uh, series, by the way. Really? I, knew that. I, yeah. I did not know that. Would you like to tell us the story, Seth? Well, I, I, like, I wasn't there, but oh. uh, <laughs> uh, so, so James S.A. Corey, who's actually two people, uh, uh-huh. it's just writing under one name, uh, that, this was uh, a role-playing game. that There was actually two groups for a while. One of them was that I wanted to play this detective, and this other was like this uh, group of space truckers. And uh, then at one point early on, one of the guys had to leave the game, so they just kind of killed his character in this dramatic fashion. So if you're watching Expanse and like you suddenly see a railgun dart go through a guy's head, that was the session in which that player is like, hey guys, I got a new job. I got to move. Oh uh, my God. 
That's awesome. Oh, that's funny. And there's a great story on um, I think I know exactly one of the seasons where uh, Detective Miller shoots a guy and he, he gives this excuse of, well, I, I did it because he was beginning to make sense. Uh, according to the interviews, what happened is the player actually just kind of went murder hobo and the, the they wrote the reason in later. Uh, but oh, the real reason that he shot the guy was because he's a player character and player characters can go from zero to murder on a dime. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there was some careful editing uh, that the writers did later on to like, let's figure out what, what Miller's real reasoning was. Oh, that's so, funny. <laughs> okay. All right. That's funny. I'm, now, I, now I have to go back and rewatch that. Because, oh, that's that's going to recontextualize literally everything. What's funny, because we do that already with a lot of other game, with a lot of their uh, si- oh, yeah, series yeah, and yeah. movies. We're always just like, okay, I could see the scene. I could see how these roles go out. You use you use Disney's Three Musketeers all the time as as an example of how to play Seventh C <gasps> yep. constantly, constantly, yep. constantly. See, if you pitched to me Seventh C and you just said Disney's Three Musketeers, I would stop you right then and be all like, "Hell yeah, let's yeah, let's, <laughs> just well, just, let's roll some dice." You should you should right roll now. right back to my Seventh C discussion. The, that system spotlight, <laughs> you will hear all of that. Man in the Iron Mask, uh, Three Musketeers, uh, Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Dangerous Beauty, all of that wrapped into one world. It's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. You, I'm. I'm, I'm intimately familiar with all of those. Go 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 back and listen. Grab that uh, that book. Maybe I'll send you a PDF copy uh, from Drive Through RPG because it like, is worth it. Sounds like maybe there needs to be an online game. Oh, yeah, there might be. There Rob. might have to be. So uh, I only play first edition. I, I I I'm getting into second edition. I have the books and stuff, but I I still am in wildly in love with first edition. So it is. It can be so weird on any game to do an edition change. Uh, it's it's in a lot of ways harder than it is to actually switch games entirely. Yeah. Uh, because certain changes, you can see why they made it, but you're still pissed <laughs> that they made changes. Like, yeah. why, why'd they get rid of this? I, I loved it. And like, you know, or there's terminology that now means something different, but your brain is so locked into this term means this, that, it causes confusion for everybody. So yeah. I understand the reluctance to switch uh, editions just because, uh, damn it, that's that's rough. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And I mean, on the other hand, I looked at 3.5 to 5, like that literal switch, for, it went from for D&D in my brain. And I was like, yeah, this is fine. But it took me like a little while to get attached. I was like, do I really want to go into more D&D? And then I was like, wait a second, this is what they did in 5th edition? Oh, I, can, I, I can get rid of those books. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um. So when you're when you're looking at doing a game, and I'm not necessarily talking about space opera here, but in sci-fi in general, when you were running your, I mean, you ran what a game for two years, you said, right? Are you still in, you're still in it? I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think correct? you said he was just just wrapping up your traveler game pretty soon. Uh, um, we're actually on our second campaign. Oh wow! And uh, we're uh, so the, our, our first one was more like classic uh, traveler. Yeah, okay. um, I did a lot of that as a, a campaign diary series. Uh, which is called the mystery of BT SHT three, six, five, which I took a really bad uh, module. <laughs> okay. And we turned it into this, this, this epic saga. And I actually ended up reviewing it each chapter in this 50 page module to this five page five video series. And each video is like half an hour mm-hmm. wow. uh, where you follow yeah. the characters. It's a little different than my normal reviews. Um, and then our last one has actually been more of a covert spy thing where oh. our heroes are 
trying to fly a spice spice ship out of enemy territory. And uh, that should be wrapping this month. Uh, I hope <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm going to ask you a few questions and it's, it's a tied between uh, a little bit of system for traveler and uh, your game specifically and how you played it. Um, what components do you feel what parts or elements that you brought as a storyteller do you feel are absolutely necessary to to get the feeling of sci-fi and not just a futuristic uh fantasy kind of escape and what does traveler what did traveler give you as assets to help that well one the traveler gave me a few things that, that convinced me to do it well i just like the the, the setting but setting doesn't necessarily make a system mm-hmm. um I I prefer a skill based game over a level based one. Yeah, uh, by far. Any day of the week and twice on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Traveler is uh, even this this new edition, which is like I don't know. There's something like ten editions total between there was like a GURPS version yeah. and a D twenty version and all this stuff. Yeah. But yep. uh, the current one is actually very close to what the original was. Like they went back to the first one and they're like, okay, this is actually this actually worked. We just need to polish it and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, update it to, you know, we've made a lot of cool ideas and how games should work in the meantime. Let's yeah. update those, mm-hmm. but still use those old bones. And it worked very well, but it's a skill-based game. Um, it is actually very open about, you've basically got a hardness meter that you can do. Uh, you know, you know, how hard do you want this sci-fi? Like, do we actually want to... Uh, like it'll give you the mathematical formula to figure out like how long it will take at whatever speeds to get to a planet and like all of the the stuff to like accelerate halfway there and decelerate the other half. Like it, it basically throws that in a cyber. It's like, okay, if you want it here, it is, but you know, here's, here's another way of doing it. That's probably a hell of a lot easier. And I'm sure somewhere out there, somebody was like, Oh, hell yeah. Math formulas. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so it's actually real open of like use or ignore it as much as you want. And then one of their five core books is like nothing but alternate rules where it's like, Hey, you don't like the way jump drives work. Here's four other faster than light methods. And you know, you want to make it hyperdrives or instantaneous or, or whatever. Space holding for uh, life. Yeah. So, okay. so traveler with the, with the current edition, mongoose second edition, they have to be specific. There's two completely different editions currently. In right, right, right. Um, is is very much on there have been so many ideas and so many cool ways of doing it that we don't want the game system to get in the way of your story. So we'll we'll give you the basic one in the first core book and then like we're going to cram all the others in another book later on if you're all like, I, I'd like to try it differently. And they're like, here they are. We've play tested all of them. So that way you don't have to go through the, uh, the rougher parts of figuring out how to do certain house rules. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I <laughs> yeah, honestly think is, is one of the things is you can usually find any number of rewritten, rewritten house rules online for any game system, but it's really wonderful to see a, a game company that took those rules to heart and said, okay, we're going to play test all these and let you know, these are the polished versions of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Cause, um, yeah, I don't know when you got into like third edition D and D. You were mentioning that earlier. Mm-hmm. Third edition came out, and they did the the open gaming license, and there were suddenly five billion splat books. Oh, yeah, there were there were came ridiculous. Out. And you know, a lot of groups, and I had several players that would would try it, and they'd had side games, so they do it where they basically said, 
anything from any game is completely okay. Well, there was a hard lesson learned there. And that's, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, th- that was, no, no, they don't all work. Uh, so when you, when you go online, and that actually has, has less QA than somebody had actually got their book published and, right. and distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Jimmy, who, who, who wrote his house rules, um, yeah, they're, they're probably terrible if you're getting them just off from randos on the internet. Sometimes they're genius, but yeah. uh, I do like it when the publisher says, hey, here's some that definitely do work. That way you don't have to like accidentally break your game. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, I've had a few because... players in the past in my D&D games ask me if they could play something from Unearthed Arcana just with, mm-hmm. the, with the fifth edition stuff. And I was just like, hard no. Nope. Hard no. Nope. <laughs> that stuff is all broken. You can't trust any you of got, it. You got to draw your line somewhere. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. So, I, I so I traveler doesn't really want it to get in the way of the the the, the rules, but it was somewhere deep down in here was a question I think I was answering like three days ago, and I, <laughs> I, I can't really remember if I if I answered it if I was leading up to it and just got sidetracked. Uh, I think we were talking, just asking about like what what elements, um, and and oh. not necessarily game elements, but more like story elements, um, I, that you use to kind of make it. F- I guess feel like a space game instead of just yet another D and D game that takes place in a spaceship. Well, um, for me, I came from a background of cyberpunk, like we talked about. So mm-hmm. we always have a very uh, cyberpunky edge. And then even when we went back to other fantasy games, uh, we pulled that in. And, um, but the last thing with traveler that sold me on it is their character creation system is just like, freaking insanely cool i I really Um, do like it it made me feel and and i know that there was some generational that led on to the tmnt system that was used in palladium with like the randomization of creating out a character but i love the way that they did the career system it it just and that you're in and i guess the hardcore version of it is you can die in character creation which is hilarious to me but (laughs) just the idea that you're building your skills and on successes and failures to see how well you did. It's like a, a mini adventure, if you will, or a mini game. Yeah. And, and, and basically it encourages that you're like, like session zero, everybody creates their characters at the same time. Cause then you, you link them all. And it's, it's a lot like, you know, Firefly was like you start Firefly. They all know each other. They have these little backstories that, that crisscross in the time before, but you know, Firefly starts off they all know each other. They're on a janky ship. Let's just get on to the adventure. And that's how, right. how Traveler is, where it's like, you all know each other. You've got your war stories together. Let's just let's just start with the adventure. Let's just get rolling uh, in media res, you right. know? Yeah. Okay, the pirates are chasing you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's pretty much you know, how they want to do it. It's like, you guys know each other. You've got a long history. Um, I usually compare it to Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, how did you know each other? It's like, well, 15 years ago, I uh, I won my ship in a poker game. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. so, like, they just know each other. Let's just, we don't have to go through the awkward uh, role play of, like, you know, who are you, hero? And will you join our party? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Will you join my quest? Exactly. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to ask you about was one of the things that um, Traveler does really intriguingly is the way that uh, way ha- death is handled, and that it's it almost feels that death is is very, uh, for lack of a better term, crunchy. Like it tears away at your character. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 tear through endurance, and then it starts hitting your stats, and you've got a short period of time to stabilize. And or get help, and all of that is very dangerous. Like it, it all, they, you can die in surgery, 
Like it's it's yeah. not like the cleric's gonna come over, put a hand on you, and you're fine. Get up, start shooting oh, again. Yeah. That's Heal, not healing happening. word from sixty feet away. And <laughs> yeah. now you're now you're at full fighting capacity. But that finality, that 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 death moment, and and just you know getting shot at inside of a spaceship or, or stabbed for heaven's sake, which is more likely, you know, seems like it's it's very visceral for this game. And I, I want to know, uh, did you fe- did you did, did you feel as a storyteller that it added a lot more weight to it, or was it something that was just always lurking? in the, the shadows for your players well uh so from 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 my side uh so you know many ages ago when uh my my group because i'm actually still playing with like half my group i've been with for 20 years so we've got long history of many games together God, that's so good uh, when when we flipped to cyberpunk 2020 and that is a, a freaking deadly ass game um and you know, you have to have the initial uh, like moment when you realize you're not playing D and D anymore, and you can die like mm-hmm. instantly. Mm-hmm. Where if you're injured, there's like okay, well, healing's going to take several weeks. Um, so it's not like like oh, we take a quick rest or our cleric wiggles his fingers or mm-hmm. I drink this magic juice. It's just like no, you're messed up for a while and. That one did a death spiral where, like, the more damage you took, the more minuses you got to stuff. So we were uh, veterans of that. And basically, we saw anything that was a little bit easier to survive than cyberpunk, we were golden with. (laughs) (laughs) You'd played hard mode and everything else became easy mode after that. Yeah. Well, it's like when we flipped to Call of Cthulhu, which everybody's like, oh, it's the most deadly game ever. We're like, whatever. (laughs) And... uh, you know, so we also played Call of Cthulhu for for many years. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's actually what I still consider my favorite game ever. Okay. Uh, so when we went to Traveler, we were actually very used to highly lethal games, and okay. uh, the, my players are very smart. But uh, you know, they 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 don't do the reckless stuff that usually happens if somebody comes from a, a very high fantasy D and D style game and then into a a lethal game because they will almost always charge straight into battle and then suddenly wonder why in the hell they just died. Like, oh yeah. D and D players yeah. will punch a dragon. They don't yeah. care. Yeah. They, they yeah. don't, they don't give a crap. No. And um, so when, when we did that, it with any sort of sci-fi game, it usually starts coming down to tech. You know, you want to get better armor, better weapons. Uh, so you, it's very equipment based mm-hmm. Okay. because okay. Uh, like with a lot of level or skill based games, you don't get more hit points. You know, that's, that's all you got. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only way to really improve yourself is to get, you know, better and better equipment, start getting augments, um, like different cyber and stuff like that in order to give you a boost because you're never going to get more hit points. Um, that game is, it, it, it's actually a lot more difficult to GM because since you have three types of hit points mm-hmm. between those three physical stats and you have to drop them all to zero before you're dead. Mm-hmm. Man, when you're running like six NPC bad guys, oh, oh, harsh, and and all of a sudden that's like you've got eighteen hit point tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, I mean, I I would I would definitely house rule some simplification there and and and, mm-hmm. and bring in a little bit of seven C goon style where it's like these guys are thugs that you you, you, you take shot one, them they're dead. You, you take one they take one quote unquote dramatic hit and they're done. Yeah, they're, they're just done. Yeah, so. So yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of just kind of like yeah, it's good enough. And, yeah, <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, sort of stuff. And yeah, I never even got into like one of my videos. Actually, one of my players who 
is the craftiest human being I've ever met has these little tags. Oh, we've all got one <laughs> that go under the miniatures back when we used to play in the same room together. And we would actually write out those three stats. Oh, wow. so oh okay. okay. They would okay. actually lower them for me. They'd handle all the paperwork. So that was, that was pretty sweet. Isn't that wow. nice? Well, that is a hell of a group. And if they're listening, you don't deserve them. <laughs> I, I don't, but I'm, it also doesn't stop me from making videos where I make fun of them all the time. Mine just give me Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. I mean, there's always the DM bribe. So yep. Yep. You get, so. uh, you get Slurpees. I get Sour Patch yep, Kids. And apparently true. Seth gets all of his paperwork done for him. I, I kind of like his bribes better. In Take notes, D&D Tamriel. <laughs> Take notes. Although it's 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 hard to do it virtually, let's just say that. <laughs> it is true. Yeah, I had recently done a thing where I talked about in like combat. It's like why don't you just let the players take care like keep track of like damage for you for all the bad guys? And I, I do find it interesting that so much of the um the audience shift, uh, because uh even five years ago that would have met with a lot more hate. Oh yeah. Of like mm-hmm. that's the most metagaming thing ever. And you know, my argument was like your players are already doing it. They're the ones that told you how much damage they did. So why don't we just pool our resources and you not have to do it all well, by right. yourself? Well, They're not tell only you the that. damage, just make them do the math afterwards. You know? Right. And and it's not only that, it's that it, it helps with the visualization. I mean, their players can legitimately see what is going on. There's no reason why they didn't know that that guy is almost dead. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And it's it, keeping things behind the screen basically until the thing is is dead, and you're like, oh yeah, we've just fought this thing for seven rounds, and it just suddenly drops dead, and you're like, we didn't see that coming, you know? <laughs> it's those kind of moments that make that, that I was like, I don't quite get, you know? So no, you, well, uh, you, I'm sorry, you mentioned earlier um, that uh, uh, like Traveler is a very uh, equipment based game, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I was kind of hoping you could elaborate on that because I uh, and and just to, to kind of lead in why I'm asking this question is uh, the few times that I've tried to run a space game, one of the big problems I've had is that the future is filled with a bunch of uh, pseudo-magical gadgets that solve a lot of problems for you, mm-hmm. and they're very prevalent. You know, humanity has made giant technological leaps, and these the, instead of it being, like, magic items you can kind of, you know, curtail and limit in a D&D setting, everybody kind of has all these high-tech gadgetry around them, how do you stop your players from just using high-tech gadgetry, wizardry, to just solve every problem? Okay. Well, um, that's actually a great question. Um, uh, Traveler has one thing that's built into the system that is, is actually really helpful here. And um, that's what's called tech level. So all items are, are done on this tech level that in most of the Traveler universe goes from like 0 to 15. But then they're like... Technically, there's no cap to it. And mm-hmm. you can even find certain equipment that's like tech level 19 or 20. Um, point of reference, we're currently somewhere between 7 and 8. Uh, gotcha. as far as real, real life. Yeah. yeah. yeah real in life. real life, right now, you know, t- early 21st century, that's where we are. Um, you know, basically it's saying like in the next like 90 years, we're going to start developing gravity drives or something. Anyway, right. uh, anytime they're at a planet or a system, you – you know what the tech level of that system or that planet is. So when your players are actually desperate to go out, it's like, I want to get that Martian power armor like Bobby has in the expanse. It's like, okay, well, that's a, that's a tech level 12 suit of armor. The world you're on is tech level 10. Mm-hmm. So uh, one it's, yeah, they can't even manufacture it here. They don't have the ability to manufacture it. It's like, um, you know, 
if you're in a very uh, small uh, developing country, you're not going to find a cell phone that's not an import. And, and instead of it just being across an ocean or across just a simple border, it's light years distance. It's kind of hard to get it. Uh, and if you do get that power armor uh, somehow, it's probably going to cost you like nine times more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every uh, system has what's called a law level as far as like how strict uh, their laws are as far as what you can get away with walking around in. Um, which that is the other thing that kind of cuts down on, on a lot of that. Cause sometimes, you know, they will, you know, they've got their automatic laser rifles and all this great stuff. And you get down to a strict law level world and they're like, uh, you can't openly carry any weapon larger than like a knife and maybe a stun gun. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And, it, you know, of course they can try to sneak it through, but all of a sudden that adds this other layer of like, okay, well, you know, if, if you get caught, um, you know, they'll, they're, they're pretty, pretty hard on you here if you if you do that so you actually have to pay attention to the the world and the availability but then also you know like with D, eventually your wizard is going to get fireball yep <laughs> yep yep so just lean into it um but then the other side is uh, unlike spells or powers you know when you're your your 10th level monk gets you know flying death fist or whatever their innate ability is at 10th level um you can't just take that away from them with equipment you can you can come up with ways to take that away from them um and then you know force them to suddenly have to adapt without their cool toys um so i actually find it a lot easier to do that in a in a sci-fi game versus in yeah, something like like D and D, where sometimes you're like, you know, what I'd really love to do is is throw them in a in a jail and they have to break out. And your uh, spellcaster's like, well, I can just keep casting fireball bolts till the day that I die. It's like I need to come up with a convoluted way to make sure you can't do all of the stuff your character oh, can just goodness, naturally yes. Yes. do. Yep. Yeah. Uh, versus in in, 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 a, in a sci-fi game that has very tech type, you know, quote unquote magic. Uh, it's like, no, you're in prison, and, yep. you're and now you are John the, galaxy the NPC. Way out of here. You are naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, it, as you were talking about that, it, you know, all the things started popping in my head. Like they're gonna run out of ammo. They're gonna run out of battery charge. They're eventually gonna run out of you know oxygen. Maybe o- you know you know, you know it, the environment uh, of a, a fleshy human. You know, yeah, you have your vac suit right at the moment, but the moment it takes a tear. Now you don't really have a vac suit. You you have a problem, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can resist elements right up until you can't, and and I think <laughs> that is a really cool part about uh, the sci-fi genre as a whole with the technology that's in there. But I do love the tech levels. That's every time I saw that. Like one of the best things that I saw was the um, discussion about uh, walk. You know, when a officer walks in with a tech level twelve armor and all of your weapons are tech level ten. Like you look at him as he comes in through the airlock, and you're like, "So, uh, how big of a problem is he? He's tech level twelve armor on." Yeah, we're just gonna put our guns down. Right. Like we're never just, gonna get through this. <laughs> just, just surrender. Yep. Just surrender. Because <laughs> his sword literally will cut us all in half. Mm-hmm. You know, without a thought. So, yeah. Yeah, they're um, they're uh, I forgot what they call it. The not lightsaber. Yeah. I think is like a tech level sixteen in that game. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, you are gonna find their. Um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. These aren't Star Wars things. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. 
Well, I mean, I mean, the, the, the cool thing you said about Traveler too was that, like you said, there, there's kind of like a a, a a fantasy, you know, or, or you know, space opera slider on it mm-hmm. yeah. that you could, you know, kind of really adjust your, you know, how crunchy or how how hard hard or soft sci-fi you want it to be. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it includes things like psionics and aliens as kind of like optional rules and such like that. So it's also oh, to yeah. be expected that you know it, it wants to be able to tell a broad swath of space stories mm-hmm. so you're gonna have you're gonna have that you've got to have that you know yeah yeah and it, it, you know it's so it's it basically it's just a huge toolbox and what i like about it is it actually has almost all the rules have like the like if you want to get rid of it that's cool so you can make your very uh hard military sci-fi in a human only universe and it's, it's super easy to do or mm-hmm. if you just want to say like you know, screw it we're going straight up firefly that's super easy to do um uh, or you know kind of anything in between you can absolutely do star trek in it uh and and i like that mm-hmm. uh, it one of the other draws for me is with a lot of role-playing games the system is very tied to the world mm-hmm. um you know we're like you feel that in order to play this game, you suddenly have to understand a Bible's worth of world information. Mm-hmm. And, and that bothers me with a lot of games because uh, it, it, it feels like I'm obligated to play in somebody else's his world. Um, and I think one of the reasons that, that Dungeons and Dragons has, has been so successful for so long is, yeah, it's like, yeah, we got a world. Originally it was Greyhawk and you know now it's Forgotten Realms, but it's like, well, you can totally ignore it if you want to, or just use some of our gods, but make up your own. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And you don't feel obligated that you have to learn the Dungeons and Dragons world. But if you want to, man, there's like 45 years worth of great history to read. Yeah. So well, that's an excellent point. I mean, when I first started playing D and I entirely took a left turn at the established D and D worlds and just homebrewed my own. I mean, it was, oh, yeah. that's, yeah. that's what I did right out the gate too. And, uh, travelers like that. It's like we have this massive world you can do, but in the back, say, like, "Here's a toolbox to make your own." You yep. know, yeah. And yeah. I, I really do like that as well. Like when I looked at that, I, I kind of felt like it needed the um, powered by the apocalypse kind of world building session zero as well, where your players actually say, "Like, okay, well, here's your universe. You know, show me what's in it. Like, who, <laughs> who are the bad guys in here?" And one of the players is like, "Uh, there's some space pirates over here that do, you know, spice mining. This drug. Okay, great. All right, what's what else is going on over here?" And you let the players help create the universe, and then yeah. you run a game within that. And yep. you could easily do that in Traveler without without really changing the system at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. So, yeah, it'd, it'd be it'd actually be super super easy uh, yeah. because the all the all the rules for that is is very clearly laid out and you could just really pull out a giant uh, hex map and say like, okay, let's see what our, our system looks like. Mm-hmm. And this is where you're from, you know? Yep. So really there's, there's, there's not a lot of functional difference then between your typical session zero fantasy building and your, your typical, uh, you know, session zero space building then. Nope. It's just your scale, your scale is on, on a on more galactic scale rather than a, you know, yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't even have to be. You could do the whole thing on one planet if you wanted to, or or a planet in a moon, or something even less than that. Yeah, I suppose you could, but the name of the game is Traveler. That so, is you true. Know. That well, is true. But yeah, you could you could uh, very easily isolate it where you're in uh, something like the Expanse, where it's like you've got a few planets, you've got some asteroid belts, and go. Yeah, a few space stations and a moon. Yeah. Yep. 
So let's have a few questions before we lose too much time here. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, do, I think some of these questions. got answered, so it'll it'll be pretty easy for us to go back on. Um, the Mad Elf actually asks: uh, Space opera can slide in uh, into space fantasy pretty easily. How do you keep on theme and not find yourself from Star Trek to Star Wars? So I, I I'm going to push this one to you, Seth. Okay. Um... The problem is that can that can really be difficult. It's up to your players. Uh, you know, basically, with any sort of theme game, no matter what theme you're doing, you all have to have kind of an agreement of what the theme is. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you have uh, anyone in the room that is uh, trying to go against it, like you know, you can easily turn your uh, uh, hard sci-fi into just space fantasy star wars if if one person keeps insisting on it you could mm-hmm. turn your you know your your game of thrones into you know some whatever that stoner comedy was with james franco I mean, that, that, <laughs> you know it, it can dude where's my spaceship yeah <laughs> you know so if your if your players aren't on board with whatever the theme is then uh it's it's going to be this fight but uh, otherwise you all kind of have to just kind of talk about it and just be pretty open. And once again, if, if you start kind of sliding that way, you know, you can get rid of equipment, you can change things Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and force it back. But it's a lot easier if everyone kind of starts off on the same page, as far as this is what we're going for. And then your players will naturally keep going that way versus try to keep wandering in another direction. If they don't, clearly understand that's not what we're trying to do mm-hmm. yeah we, we always come back to communication is the best thing you can have with your players and it, it only gets better the more time you play with them i mean you've got 20 years with yours so the communication is pretty solid you know the boundaries and when you guys start a game you have a feeling for it but i think any new players who are pulling stuff together i think that's that is the key yeah so. i i think too um internal consistency from the storyteller is probably pretty important here as well mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You want to establish what is what what is and is not in your world mm-hmm. um, pretty early on in your like your world building, your storytelling and such like that. So uh, establishing that um, can really set the rails for you without having to actually, quote unquote, set rails uh, on what is Star Trek and what is Star Wars, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and once once they understand what the rules of internal consistency are for your world building, um, your players will just fall in line and start following it. And they'll intrinsically know that there's no Jedi masters that do, you know, midichlorian magic uh, in oh. your in your uh, a- admittedly flimsy, you know, sci fi uh, Star Trek game. Mm-hmm. Um, I say, hey, Star Trek's got psychics, too, man. Star Trek does have psychics. It does. Yeah. No, you're you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. There's, there's a, you can have a little space magic as a treat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very true. It's, very true. I always found really weird. Is like is is one of the prevalent things. It is so much sci-fi. Always still comes down to psychics. Um, you know whether that be uh, Dune mm-hmm. or Star Trek. Um, Hell, that's you know. Aeon Trinity's entire yep. uh, entire shtick is is psychics in space. Yep. And it, it's 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 this really regular thing of like as technology grows, somehow we develop brain magic. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So true, so true. Do you want to grab another one here, Sarah? Uh, yeah. Uh, so Knox in the box uh, asks: uh, To me, space opera seems to be a delicate genre where over-explaining might get you into trouble, uh, and conversely, less is more might not always satisfy your audience. 
That being said, how do you best determine the levels of exposition you need to give at any given time? Uh, do you work backwards? Well, um, so I, I, I think I think what we're asking about is like, you know, that the technology, the hardness of the sci fi, how, how in depth do you get into like what is going on mm-hmm. with the sci fi? Yeah. I I I would say that it, it, a it depends a lot on the system that you're working with mm-hmm. and and what it allows for. I think something like Traveler gives you the ability to dig or dig deeper. But again, it, it like Seth was saying earlier, once you've established with your players that this is going to be a little lighthearted and and here's the boundaries that we're working within, you know, to tell this story and you know this is the kind of uh, tech limits that we're dealing with. I think at that point you can lean more into what the players are interested in. I mean, if you don't know the group very well and you're just starting out and they all seem to be getting very numbers happy and want to, to do more leaning into that, then maybe you walk with them in that direction to make the story work with it. Uh, but I think if you're trying to keep them more onto plot, only let it apply where it needs to. Like we always talk about challenges, you know, a, a story role sh- should only happen when a challenge is necessary to move forward, you know, yeah. versus like, yeah, if, a, if you're coming up to a door, you know, you don't always have to have every single door checked for locks and rolls button be done on that. Mm-hmm. You can literally just gloss over those things. That's not sticking to the hard points of it, but allowing the story to continue. Yeah. See, if you had told 15-year-old me that, that would have changed so much. <laughs> you just dropping that like that's common. Uh, what uh, what tech level are time machines? Uh, <laughs> are, we, are we almost there? Because yeah. we could fix some problems. Yeah. Well, now, now one thing, though, with, with Traveler, when it comes to a lot of the simplicity of that, so let's say uh, another uh, sci-fi game that I've been playing recently is uh, Alien by Free League. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great game if you want to play Alien. Uh, in that, there's 12 skills total. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, whole game is down to 12 skills for stats. So, you know, if you're like, I'm going to repair the ship, that's the mechanic role. It doesn't matter what you're repairing, you repair it. Um, well, Traveler, it's actually a lot more than that. It's like, okay, you've got your electronics. Is it electronics computer? Uh, is it you right. know, just, you know, or you've got engineering. Is it jump drive engineering, M drive engineering, you know, these, yep. all these different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so there, there is still a lot of, of that because um, one of the things that they, that does make the ships interesting is everyone on the, the crew can have a very distinct job. Um, that way everybody feels like they are part of the crew. Uh, so, you know, as I, I have a really good sensors, so I am the sensor operator. Well, so and so has got a really good, um, you know, their engineering skills are really good. They're clearly are a mechanic, and then you got your pilot, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, um, I like that because of cohesion. Like I love in space combat, absolutely everybody has something to do. Right. Versus right. the okay, well, I got my pilot and I got my gunner. And so the two of you are going to play with me and the other four people in the room just have to sit there and wonder if their character is just going to suddenly die because their ship explodes. Right, right, yep. Which that sounds mind-numbingly boring if you are not one of those two people that's getting to do something. And and agitating because you're completely, like those those idle players have their agency completely removed Mm -hmm. the entire time. Yeah. So, you know, with this one, you know, there is the, uh, my mechanic's going to go and I'm going to try to actually overdrive, you know, overload the drives. I'm going to actually get more speed out of this. Or 
I'm going to get on my sensors and I'm going to start jamming their targeting system or trying to uh, basically remotely hack the missiles so they explode before they hit us. You know, so there's right. lots of things that you can do, even if you're not shooting one of the laser turrets or, or piloting the ship. Uh, everybody still has roles that they can keep filling and actually change the overall outcome of what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things I do love about it. But the, the the cost for that is there are a lot more skills that you have to kind of learn how to deal with and how the how the mechanics of a ship work mm-hmm. uh, versus something like Alien, because Alien isn't they do have rules for space battles, but it's not about space battles. It's about, you know, face huggers and. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, screaming because you got a homemade flamethrower and the corporate guy just betrayed you. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So do you want to hit one more? Yeah, you have got one last question here from uh, from Overwatch. Overwatch asks, uh, space opera can stretch from madcap westerns to gritty war stories or from adventure serials to cosmic horror, from giant fighting super robots to some thankless manual laborer just trying to make a day's wage. So how do you make your players at home in the vast expanse of a space opera and how do you keep a handle on the, on the scope or scale of your story so that it keeps them grounded even while the universe might be limitless. Okay. Um, well, actually, that, that hits on just about everything we've talked about. Um, the ship is how you keep them grounded. Uh, or you know, certain characters that they they interact with. But, you know, because he's right. Genres, the, the, the genres get so squishy that it's... Yeah, it's kind of hard to say this is exactly space opera and this isn't because it can go so many different ways because all of those examples are 100% correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it also comes down to the the communication. So, you know, you you know, the GM and the players, we all kind of discuss what is it we're going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I have always found it just a hell of a lot easier just to upfront say we're going for this movie or this TV show. Yeah. So it's like uh, we're going for something like Battlestar Galactica and they're like old or new. New, <laughs> right, like, right. Okay, so you know what does that mean? It's like, well, we've got artificial gravity because we don't want to deal with that crap. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know we've got certain things that are just kind of assumed. We're going to hand wave them because we mm-hmm. don't want to deal with uh, those aspects. But at the same time, what do you want to do? I want to get in a little little space fighter and I want to zip around and 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 shoot robots that have little eyes that go back and forth. Um mm-hmm. yeah, that's because that's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, okay, sure. that's what we're gonna do. And when Je- Edward James almost signed on for that show, one of the th- clauses in his contract is there weren't gonna be any any aliens. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't want, you know, season three, the writers start kind of getting desperate, and all of a sudden the guy in a rubber suit comes out mm-hmm. yep. and and it and it devolves into classic Battlestar or, or something like that. Right. And I think that that little clause probably did more to save the show than we will ever, ever fully understand. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. I don't know what I would have um, done if that happened. <laughs> so, but I, I think a lot of it's just the, the communication with your group and establish what the expectations are mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and what the goal is, because you always have a goal of what you're going for. And then, you know, we'll, if, if we're all in agreement, we all are on the same page, we'll, we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
yeah, if otherwise, yeah, you're gonna have, you've got five players and they all want to go a different direction. Right. And, and then you got the GM who had a sixth direction they're going and they're ripping their hair out because none of them are on the same direction they are. Yeah, I just find that weird because like I've, I've I've talked to several people and it it, it feels like um you know setting a direction or a restriction on your group during your session zero seems to be a uh, uh I don't know an alien idea to some people where they're I like mean, you you can't just tell your players they can't do something with your with their characters like. Actually, yeah, you can. Like, All the you can time. tell them flat out. This is the story we're telling. Make a character that fits in this story, right? You know, I mean, they can do anything they want as long as it fits in that story. You know, yeah. Uh, I refer to that, and I actually it was one of my first videos, and I did, it was poor, so I ended up taking it down. I'm going <laughs> to revisit this topic later on. Had to deal with theme games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. We've done and shows for on years. That. We've referred to this as the Thirteenth Warrior. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. Are, are you familiar with the, the film? Based Very off much so. The, we are, and we're familiar okay. with the term when used in role playing. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And okay. that that is, you've got 12, 12 people who all made warriors for their big Viking adventure, and one guy who showed up with a character who's an Arabian poet. Yeah. Has that, has that term actually started circulating yeah. around? Oh, has, very much so. It has, yep. That actually is still my most popular video I ever did. I took it down over a year ago, and it's still like twice as far as oh, wow. I ever did. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we'll have to go back and find what... I actually what, take credit what, for that one. You, you, I, I you should. Actually, you wish, we should, actually, because that was that was one of our earlier shows. That yeah. was like one of our one of our very first shows where we, 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 we used that term. I should go back and check the show sheets. We may actually have attributed you to that to that, think that quote. It's possible. It it's very possible. it's and, very possible. <laughs> and so we came up with that one. It was around the time that movie came out. But right. I was doing a pirate game. Mm-hmm. You are going to be pirates, and you are going to uh, you know do pirate stuff for pirate reasons, and we're going to have a ship, and we're going to you know you know, plunder other ships and dig buried treasure and fight sea monsters 16 and all that men shit. on a dead man's chest and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what we're going to do. And I had this one player love him dearly. Um, but he's the type that, you know, kind of between games, you know, but like between campaigns, he kind of decides what he wants to play next. And that's just what he's going to play regardless of anything. Oh goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh goodness. And he's like, you know what? I never play it is a lawful good cleric who wears plate mail. I'm going to play that in the next campaign. Well, along comes the dungeon master. He's like, we're going to play pirates and we're going to swing ropes between ships and we're going to do piratey shit. And you're all going to be probably bad guys. You're definitely not going to be good guys, but you know, you'll be heroic bad guys. And he walks in with this lawful good cleric wearing plate mail. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the games started having this hurdle of like, you know, the first adventure I can bring this guy in is why he's there. But then there's the second one, and then the third one, and then the fourth one. And it starts becoming a little bit more difficult to uh, kind of keep justifying why this character is still here yeah. Yeah. and why they're putting up with them. Because uh, the player didn't want to do the type of character growth where he starts leaning that way. So he kind of put that on everybody else as to kind of have him be there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which if you're going to bring in a character that doesn't fit into whatever you're talking about, it's up to that player to, to help them fit. If, if they try to be like, it is my vision and my character and you have to deal with it. Uh, that will not work. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a cooperative it's, story for a reason. Yeah. Cooperative so, means working. <laughs> so I, I refer to that as the 13th warrior and Oh my God, the amount of hate that I got. 
And, but <laughs> one of the things that I, I realized, and actually what, part of why I took that video down, and I, I need to revisit this topic desperately, is in in a segment, it was like the five worst characters that good players make, uh, which was like three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. I used the term theme like four or five times. Mm-hmm. And so many people did not understand the the key was theme uh, because they would try to justify my little skit where I've got my uh, long hair kind of stoner player saying, I want to play this Arab poet in your Viking game. And he's not going to speak the language and he's going to have a jumping horse and he doesn't know how to fight. And yeah. <laughs> uh, when the GM pitched it as you're going to, you know, uh, drink mead and fight in Odin's name on your quest to reach Valhalla because you're all Vikings. And he doesn't meet any of those things that right. Jan just said that they wanted. People would try to fight to defend that. And it's like, you don't understand the concept of a theme game. Like, right. I, I didn't realize that I opened this conversation having assumed that you knew what in the hell that was. So, right, yeah. right. So I need- that's actually, I, I need to actually do a whole video talking about this is a theme game. Right, and, and, if, it, and if everybody does them when they're on board, they're amazing. Now let's talk about the Thirteenth Warrior. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. and I don't think that that was ever taught. Like, I, it's it sounds funny to say that it has to be taught, but I I don't think it was ever explained. Like, I didn't understand the concept of a theme game until much later in GMing. Like, I, I it was never even a concept. I would just look at people and be like, yeah, I don't think that's gonna work. Mm-hmm. But I mean, realistically, it it followed the system more than it followed my storytelling more than anything else. Like Shadowrun kind of forces you into a theme. You know, you're all dead broke looking for money, trying to do jobs. You're you're fitting into a a basic theme of hunger and, and where that's going to go. D and D doesn't start you in that direction, which again, puts you back into, I mean, classic D and D. Now you have, you know, bonds and things like that, that start to come into play and they kind of start discussing that, Mm -hmm. but it never really was described. And even in some of the games where theme is a major component of it, it isn't described as its own thing. It's just incorporated into uh, creation, for instance, Powered by the Apocalypse kind of just wraps it all into Session Zero yeah, yeah, in, in the creation of the world, but they're not breaking down what it really is in that. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. Well, over over the years, my, my most successful campaigns I've ever run by far uh, were themes. Uh, like uh, for D&D, they were a band of wandering minstrels that were flat-ass broke. Yeah. And they didn't have to play bard classes. Like, you know, we had a gnome illusionist that was like the MC and a, you know, an assassin who was their dancer and stuff. And that one, I told them, you're not going to play heroes. I need you to have the potential to become mm-hmm. heroes, yep. but you're actually going to be wandering m- m- minstrels, mm-hmm. uh, dancers and, you know, stage magicians with a janky ass wagon. And they loved that wagon more than anything <laughs> that they would then travel to the unspoken with. character. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, with cyberpunk, um, th- my best one is what we called the, the, the gutter punk. I told you about that one uh, yeah. in our previous conversation. No, I thought that was great. We started them at the age of 12 and they were in a, it's called a juvie gang. And everyone in the gang was 18 or younger. And then, we allowed them to grow up over this time in this one neighborhood. So through a certain establishment, you, you are you're a street kid. You have no home, mm-hmm. and the gang is your life. And you're 12 years old in the cyberpunk universe. So like, so they couldn't come in with a normal cyberpunk character. Like, 
I'm a, I'm a corporate guy that's got a cyber arm. It's like, no, no. you're a you're a kid and your weapon is a broken bottle because you can't afford a knife yet. Right. You're, you're an urchin. Um, yeah. But the campaigns that I've had that went up in flames the fastest were also theme games. And the th- one thing that all of those had in common is they all had one player who would not get into the theme uh. for whatever reason. Like uh, one of them is because they were, they were a power gamer. Mm-hmm. So like, it was this constant fight because they kept trying to power game. Then um, another one was my my lawful good cleric in, in plate mail armor on my pirate campaign. You know, mm-hmm. like th- things like that. You've got the person that actually resists it. That's what mm-hmm. causes it to start going up in flames because even the players don't feel that teamwork. Like we are building something together. Uh, you've got some that are trying to build it. Now they're getting mad at this other player for not doing it. Right. And then you got those few that they weren't totally sold on it, but they're willing to go with it, but they see that so-and-so is not in it. So they're like, ah, screw it. So, and then you got so-and-so who just either is oblivious or does not care. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. But it's grinding either way. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's, who's sinking it. And those, all of those campaigns f- uh, failed when I went over, like what are the ones that burned up? Uh, and that was the one thing they all had in common. And we did a wide variety of themes, but they always had that one player, and it's usually a different person, that just couldn't couldn't just go with the simple explanation of theme. But no, they, they a lot of role playing games. It's either set up in the game itself, like you know Shadowrun or, or something, or you have to kind of figure that out on your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and but, I, I think that comes unnaturally to storytellers. You don't think about it as part of the storytelling. See, the, I, I it does now for does, us for both of us. I don't know that it have. even does now because I've always been like that. Really, there's been very few games that I've ever run where it's just like you can just make whatever. You know, I've always I've always walked into my session zero with a with with a okay, guys, I'm, we're going to tell them this type of story, make this type of character. That's yeah, true. It, no, it's it's never it's uh, some some it's been extraordinarily broad. Yeah. But it's always just been like your character ju- you can do make anything you want but you have to have a reason to travel to here mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, because that's where the story's going to hook you. Right. Uh or or whatnot. But th- that's why I was kind of so taken aback when uh when I was talking to somebody and they were like they were like what, what you can't just you can't just tell them wh- not to make something like yeah, you you can. You straight up can just hand them a book of rules mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, I got I got uh, I got sent hate mail. Like like back really? when you do like Oh yeah. This I got, is why we don't do I, YouTube videos. <laughs> well, they took off the private message feature, which, which cut that down um, drastically, but like I'd get straight up hate mail. Um, oh, so yeah, I nearly quit the channel over the first year because of all that. That's when that channel, or that uh, particular video blew up. It's uh, 2017, beginning of wow. 2017. God, imagine sending hate so, mail to somebody over them telling you their opinion about a role-playing game. Like, oh yeah, oh. Geez. Welcome to the internet. Yeah. You never, you never heard of nerd rage before? Oh um, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, 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 I'm familiar with the harshness of the internet. Yes. I, I'm a member yeah. of the LGBT community, so uh, I, I am, I am well familiar with the with the depravity of humanity and yes. when they want to share their opinions. So. Yes. <laughs> but today we have the microphone and they don't. So too bad. Exactly. <laughs> Um, tell you what, uh, Seth, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us, um, here on our show and, uh, taking the time out of your evening to discuss all this great stuff with us. You've been an oh, absolutely fantastic is, guest. It's been wonderful to have you. And we, we'd love to schedule something in the future, uh, with you. Cause I'm sure there'll be other topics that we can hit. And if you're interested in one, we'd love to have you again. 
Actually, yeah, have me back because I'd like to look at it as like, oh, wow, it's it's been an hour and change. I hadn't, <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even noticed. I feel like we're still gearing up to start. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, then we'll definitely have you again and we'll we'll find we'll find another glorious topic to run across. There have been a couple of people in our live chat, too, uh, just listening to you talk about games and such like that have said, like, can we can we be best friends with him <laughs> now? So, yeah, um, no, def- definitely. Uh, welcome back uh, on, on the show. We'd love to have you back. Uh, where, where where can we find you on the Internet? Oh, well, um, your turn to splat. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can find my YouTube channel at the highly imaginative name, Seth Skorkowski. Uh, Good luck spelling that if you don't see it written down anywhere. That's Skorkowski Uh, with a Y. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then uh, Twitter. I am at S Skorkowski. Once again, giant name gets in the way of, you know, making it punchy and easy to remember. Uh, (laughs) And then if you are interested in any of my, my novels, you can find uh, basically you can get all those uh, through Audible and Amazon, uh, whether they be uh, urban fantasy or sword and sorcery and then little dashes of horror. Anything new coming out recently that we need to know about? Um, no, my, my most recent novel, which is weird, I didn't really get to do much with it because it came out right when COVID dropped. Oh, good. Um, yeah, good times. Uh, it was Ashes of Onyx. And that was a, a weird fiction uh, dealing with uh, Carcosa and the King in Yellow and drug addiction and is extremely, extremely dark portal fantasy weird fiction horror. Uh, yeah, so. I, think I, I think I heard you talking about that. Um, uh, I, believe it or not, uh, you didn't tell us the other day you launched a new podcast as well. Well, you know, it's, it's so we, we had recorded all that stuff and you know, I've got partners on that. And I used to be in kind of like a one man show. So, uh, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, you know, we're, we're thinking about doing a few of them uh, together because none of us wanted to like release a podcast and it's like one episode. We're like, let's oh, right, right. give them a couple. Right. Always. And um, so I didn't know that podcast was actually going to release until like the night before because I hadn't. <laughs> checked my email all day <laughs> oh right on okay yep, yep. <laughs> and like yeah you know, i was like i was like i was working on a video and like i was done editing all my uh black and white like you know npc skits and mm-hmm. i'm like okay before bed let's go because anybody emailed me anything important i was like oh crap we're going live tomorrow <laughs> oh geez so i so saturday i actually did uh, a podcast game with like people all, all everybody in the group is podcasters oh and uh, you know, even on that one, when we were doing our outro, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not a podcaster. I'm a YouTuber. And then Monday rolls around and that stuff drops. And I got like a message like, you you failed to mention that. It's like, I didn't know when it was coming out. So I just <laughs> stay quiet. <laughs> so the, the show is the show is largely based around uh, the Cthulhu mythos and discussion thereof. Uh, it's called uh, Modern Mythos. And you can find it at SoundCloud.com slash modern dash mythos. Ah, good cue there. Yeah, I was listening to it a little bit earlier today. So. Excellent, excellent. And ho- hopefully we'll get that out on more platforms. Um the you know my my partner John Hook he's been podcasting for nine years our editor's been doing it for years so people would ask me like when's it going to be on these other platforms like I don't know I'm a YouTube guy I don't, know. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't ask me man I just showed up and talked <laughs> you know like, like so uh, so hopefully it'll go out uh, I, I do find it interesting like you can see that the the very quick change between our first episode we're still kind of feeling out how we're supposed to do it and like by the second we got it down. So oh yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if you go back to listen to our episode one, it's a, it's a hot mess. So. Oh, well, it's like with my YouTube channel. Like I, I try to pretend my first two years didn't happen. Like, <laughs> so I'll hear the audio or different stuff like that. It's like, Oh God. 
oh god that's just hurts me uh-huh. um, or old that. ones like that one we're talking about that i eventually took down because i didn't phrase stuff right it's yeah like, yeah. Man, yeah i didn't know how to do this right so uh I, i'm sure that in a year we'll go back and look at those first few and just be like so uh can you is there any way we can just like keep anybody from ever hearing those again without you know actually removing them it's on the internet i'm sorry it is there forever whether you want it to be or not that's right so all right seth well thank you so much again for joining us so we'd love to have you back sometime oh no this was fun because i want you guys talking about 7c man like you're like like, man the iron mask meets count of monte cristo beats uh dangerous beauty like holy fucking shit let's do it yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely Alrighty. Well, our next week's topic is going to be uh, about uh, using roleplay to explore different experiences, stepping outside of yourself and into another character uh, and uh, kind of putting putting yourself in their shoes to um, explore that in kind of a safe environment. Uh, you can find us up on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram, ST underscore Conclave. Uh, listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time we broadcast on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash Conclave, and uh, join us up on our Discord. You can find that link on our Twitter, as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our uh, Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavoo. You help us out so much and make this happen every single week. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find those at pi- patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at uh, uh, Google Music or geefrog.bandcamp.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Um, a big shout out as always to our families uh, Vicky and Sean thank you so much thank for you. supporting us all of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give us all these great stories to Seth share with you as well Seth Skorkowski thank you uh, so for much for joining us today and giving us all his great wisdom and insight and you every single one of our listeners we love you so much love you guys Good night. Good night. <laughs>